Well, last week we, we continued on in the life of Jesus and we looked at Jesus' first par- parable. And remember, the, the kind of the approach we're taking with the story of Jesus right now is, is, is with the lens of Christ being formed in you, Christ being formed in me. Paul talks about it in, in uh, Galatians chapter four where he's, he says, I am in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Okay, I don't know if he knows what that feels like. I don't think he does, but I think he's trying to you know, give this, this illustration that there, there's this desire in him that something happens within the people of that church. And, and that's, that's my prayer is, is that we would allow the Holy Spirit to nudge us in the process of Christ being formed in us. And the language we, we should find throughout Scripture is that we're crucified with Christ, is therefore we no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in us. That Paul, I mean, uh, John the Baptist used the terms, he must become greater and I must become less. And so as we see Jesus kind of grow in ministry, because he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men, as, he, as we see him grow, what, we, what I hope we will do is, is look at what he's doing in us and what he's trying to do in us, what he's, the process that's happening. So last week we looked at Jesus' first parable and, and it, was the, uh, it was the comparison of four different things. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the feasting and fasting, the um, old wineskin versus new wineskin, the old wine versus, I mean the old wineskin versus new wineskin, and um, there was one more in there, right? Old wine, new wine. We, in this parable, should recognize that he's talking about this, this old system versus the new system, but ultimately he's talking about us, that the old way of life, our old self, needs to be done away with, because what he wants to do in us will not, what we have will not support what he wants to do in us. And, the, and we concluded with this idea that we're not fixer-uppers but that he's making us completely new. So we continue on in our, in our story. We, we, we move on to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 5, okay? Luke continues with his story. It says this, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some bread of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, some things I think that we need, we need to take note of. Once again, here's what we're going to do. We're going to just look at the story, kind of develop some of the details in it, and what did we notice, and let's just kind of let's try to take note of them, all right? Then we're going to move on to this. Okay, so we put the lens of, of Christ being formed in us. So what do, what do we take away from this story? What, what do we see maybe that God is wanting to say? And, and what happens is, you're going to hear kind of what God's been working on me about, okay? So uh, hopefully it applies to you as well. I hope that doesn't sound real selfish, but, uh, but I actually believe that if he's talking to me about it, he probably needs to talk to us, us together about it, all right? So the thing that, um, that, that we looked at, I had this question, so what's the main issue here? So as I sift through what, what's happening, the question comes to my mind, what's the main issue I, I, kind of I came to this 
place that the main issue is they weren't observing the Sabbath. That was the, the Sabbath was the, was the stress. That's the fourth commandment. If we recognize this is the fourth commandment, what we see is the Pharisees have just escalated kind of this engagement of Jesus. They've now gone to addressing one of the commandments. It's, it's like the, the, their conversation or their encounters with Jesus is kind of peaked. This is a significant encounter with the Pharisees. Okay? Some of the other details that they've talked about are um, arguable. But now they've addressed the Sabbath, one of the big, four, big ten. Okay? One of the big ten. This is a big deal. And if, if, the, if the disciples are doing it, that means the, their rabbi, their, their leader is condoning it, and then therefore their leader is wrong. Okay? So, so let's just pause for a minute. Let's reflect on the fourth commandment. Now, I don't know if, if you've done this or not, but here's what I've done. I've abbreviated it. In fact, we've, we, we, we've abbreviated it on the on the tablets in front of the courthouse. Now, we, right? But even if you see most of the time the, the commandments that are, that are posted, right? Wherever they're posted, they're usually abbreviated. So what I remember the Sabbath commandment is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, right? Is that what you guys had in your head? Yeah? Oh, yeah, the fourth commandment. Yeah, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That is incredibly abbreviated. There's a, few, there's a few of the commandments that are really short. Don't steal. That just, that's it. Don't steal. But the first four to five, or first five actually are kind of lengthy. We've abbreviated them, and I think when we do that, we kind of do some injustice to the commandment. So let's look at this. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. This is the fourth commandment, all right? Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I did not put this in your notes, but it'll be on the screen because I wanted to see if you guys could go, oh yeah, there's more to it than this, right? There is more to it. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or your daughters, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I don't know if you catch this, but there's some things in there that we maybe should recognize. A little bit more than just, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. So here's what I noticed. I noticed this. He says, neither you, nor your sons or your daughters, nor your, does he say wife in there? Oh, she can work. Okay, that's good. Uh, I'm just kidding, all right? You, your kids, your, your servants, your animals, and anybody visiting your town, okay, should not work. Don't do any work. Here's the problem. It doesn't define what work is. This is where we see the issue come up within what Jesus is, is dealing with here. Apparently, as I read here anyway, it doesn't seem to say that you're not allowed to pick some grain and rub it between your hands and eat the kernels. And yet the Pharisees are saying, that is work. 
Did you hear that? They defined this as, hey, what they're doing is work. That's wrong. So so I look at this commandment, and I see, here's here's where it falls, short. (gasps) Okay? It doesn't tell us what work is. It's almost as though God kind of left it open a little bit. Now, there's just a couple other things that I want us to notice. Number, the, second, the, the next piece that I want us to notice is, is this. The Sabbath is to the Lord your God. Did you catch that? We just abbreviate it. You know, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. But he says, you keep the Sabbath because the Sabbath is to the Lord your God. That's an important piece here. The Sabbath is to the Lord your God. And then the last part is, is the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You hear that? The Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And he made it holy. He consecrated it. He set it apart. So this, this gap within the commandment, what is work? You know, it's pretty difficult to keep the Sabbath day if you don't have a list of what work is, right? So just a quick history, all right? God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites about 1450 B.C., so okay? About 15, almost 1,500 years before Jesus came along, he gave them the the, uh, Ten Commandments. At about 600 to 500 B.C., so almost 1,000 years after the commandments were given, the Israelites were carried off into captivity to Babylon, all right? This is where Daniel fits in, all right? This is this moment in Israel's history where uh, they thought that God was always going to protect Jerusalem, and God didn't. And they were in captivity for 70 years. You know why they were in captivity? Because for every, on every 49th year, they were supposed to let the land have a Sabbath. And they were supposed to take a Sabbath year. And for 70 of those cycles, they did not do it. How serious do you think God is about Sabbath? The Israelites were carried off into captivity. And for 70 years, they were taken from their land corresponding to every one of those cycle years that they skipped. Seems like it might be a big deal, right? So that was about six to 500 BC. In those 500 years after they returned from Babylon and before Jesus came, that gap here, there was some material that started to be written. And that material was basically, how do we follow and how do we remember the rules that God gave us? And so they began to write down things like, well, what does it mean to work? And this list began to grow. What does it mean for your animal to work? What does it mean for your servant to work? What does it mean for your children to work? It got to the place where, I mean, they would even say, well, you, you, can't, you can't cook on the Sabbath. And cooking, now we had to define cooking. So cooking would be any time that you, you actually are using something that you have to, and you have to grasp it. So if you grasp it, you are now working. Hmm. 
So if you could figure out how to raise a pot without grasping it, you could still cook. If you could figure out how to get the wood in the stove without holding on to it or hold, anyway, you know, you, you see how this starts to kind of just take off. So when the Pharisees, the experts, approach Jesus, their opinion is, these guys are working. But do you understand? This is man's understanding of what work is, not what God was communicating. The issue at hand is that the Pharisees had taken their definition of work, and they had elevated it against what the Scripture actually said. Because we know, with Jesus' help, what the scripture was actually telling us is that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Love for God, love for others. That's the heart of the law. We can divide up the Ten Commandments into, this is about your relationship with God, this is about your relationship with others. We can see that. And yet, somewhere along the lines, the Pharisees kind of elevated what they believed over what, really what the scripture was saying. We get focused on the rule rather than the heart. We do it too. Absolutely we do it. We have these things in our lives that we go, this is wrong, I, I know it's wrong. I mean, maybe it isn't in the Bible, but I know it's wrong. It's obvious that it's wrong, and I don't understand why other Christians don't see that it's wrong. Have you ever thought, they watch that TV show? They dress like that? Her skirt is incredibly short. How could anybody who is, has a relationship with Jesus dress like that? We do these things. It's there. We, when we lose sight of love of God and love of others, this is where we find the Pharisees. And we don't have time to keep going on and, and just looking at it, but let me tell you this. The story that Jesus talks about is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. If you want to read it, that's great. Basically, in a nutshell, right, David is running from Saul, and he, lies, and he comes to, the, to where the tabernacle is set up, and he lies to the priest and says he's on a mission from Saul, the king. And the truth of the matter is he's running from king Saul because Saul's freaked out, thinks that David's going to take over, and, and so he's trying to kill David. Now, his men that are with David, they're running. They, they have, didn't have enough food, so they got hungry. So they come to the, the tabernacle, and they, tell, they ask the priest for food. And the priest says, the only thing I've got is, is the consecrated bread. This is the bread that had just been in the temple, I mean, in the, in the holy place. Okay? It was the show bread, the consecrated bread, the bread of the presence. And after it was taken out on the Sabbath day, there's new bread brought in, and the old bread was then given to the priests. The priests got weak old bread, and they could eat it all they wanted to, right? It was designed, it was designated for them. Scripturally, this was what it said. This bread was dedicated or consecrated or set aside for the priests. Now, to understand kind of this is just really fast history, okay? I'm sorry. We're going to, well, I don't want to waste too much or spend too much time on it, but here's the deal, Okay? When God gave the promised land to the Israelites, the Levites, the priests, were not given any land. God wanted to provide for the priests from the other 11 tribes. And so when they brought their sacrifices, the priests were given 
parts of the sacrifice, and they were given the, the, the bread after it left the, the table, which was in the holy place. And so it was set aside for the priest, and the priest, do you get this? The priest kind of broke the rules by giving David and his men this bread. And the priest basically said, look, you should be kind of somewhat holy, so you have to kept yourself from women. And David says, well, for three days we have, because that's how long we've been running, right? And the priest is like, yeah, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Right? I don't, let's not think about it or talk about it. Oh, that's my version. I don't know that that's what it says. But anyway, so David goes and, he, and, they, and they all eat it, right? And the Pharisees, the Pharisees hear the story that, that Jesus reminds them of and they, and they go, I don't even know what to do with that because David probably shouldn't have eaten that bread. But you don't mess with David because David was their greatest king. He was a man after God's own heart so he must not have done anything wrong. And so they just kind of ended the conversation. But what we see in them, see the priest had compassion, had love for David and, and his men, so he gave them the bread. He understood the heart behind it. It was to provide for the priests. If it was a hard and fast line that said, absolutely no, you can't do this, then the priest would have been wrong in giving David the bread. But the heart behind it was, is provision for the priest. The priest didn't give David all of the bread. He was able to have enough to, to provide for his family as well. All right? There is no love of people in the, in the Pharisees' perspective, only a love for the law. Now, the last thing that I notice in this passage that I think we need to take note of, and this is the one that just got a hold of me. Jesus ends this encounter with the Pharisees by saying, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, at first reading, I thought, okay, yeah, sure, so Jesus is just kind of revealing a little bit about who he is, right? And after he just set that example up, they don't know what to say, and so he was able to kind of drop that bomb on them, and they, just, and they, were already, they already had nothing to come after him with, so they just left. That's one way to look at it. But as we put the lens of Christ being formed in us, I began to kind of see this a little bit differently. See, when, when we look at the story, we don't, we, hopefully we don't see that, that Jesus isn't, he isn't making a statement against the Sabbath. Or he isn't making a statement against the day of rest. See, just because his disciples were, were picking grain heads and rubbing them together and eating them doesn't mean he was saying that it's okay to work on the Sabbath. What he was really saying is, that's not what the law was talking about. That's not work. He was revealing where they had mishandled Scripture. It was a place in their life where they had subjected themselves to a list of rules, and they lost the heart of the law. As Christ has formed in us, we need to be recognizing those places where we have lost the heart of the law. Maybe the question should be asked, why, why did God institute the Sabbath? As we get back to the heart of the law, let's go back to this. Why would, why would God institute the, 
a Sabbath. As I processed it, I think, you know, there's some physical benefits to a Sabbath. Physical benefits to a Sabbath. Um, Here's what I've observed in my own life. If I don't choose to rest, I will be forced to rest. Ever been there? Sometimes it's by illness, sometimes by physical exhaustion. See, I can choose to plan to rest, or I can be forced to rest. I relate it to this. I can, I can humble myself before the Lord, or one day he will humble me. Which one's more appealing? Uh, choosing, it seems more appealing to me, right? Okay? Physical health. I think there's some benefits. Spiritual health. Our spiritual growth stalls out. Spiritual empty, spiritually empty people don't take the time to reflect on God's activity. Don't take the time to listen for his leading. And don't trust in the Lord that somehow he can help you accomplish in six days more than what he, you can accomplish in seven on your own. If we aren't participating, assume practicing it, if we're not practicing Sabbath, then we don't believe God is serious about it. Do you understand? This is right smack dab in the middle of the Ten Commandments, and most of us, I hope, would say, well, the Ten Commandments are still good today. But what about that one? Have you spent any time thinking about this? Sabbath. If I'm not practicing it, then somewhere along the lines, I guess I don't really believe God's serious about it. But if you say you think God's serious about it, then you should probably look at yourself and go, am I practicing it? Why is it that I run from rest? Why is it that I run from slowing down and being quiet? I mean, these are the questions I'm asking this week. Do I, do I think real rest is lonely? Boring? Difficult? Selfish? Why, why do we not notice this one? I would admit, I would even admit that, that sometimes I'm afraid to stop. I'm afraid God might get my attention. Ever been there? I'm afraid he will tell me I need to make a change. I'm afraid he will say something to me that I don't want to hear. Why is it for you? What keeps you from actually stopping, resting?
What if? I mean, what if the reason he calls us to rest, the reason he calls us to, to draw close to him is because that he wants to fill us? He wants to recharge us? He wants to make some course adjustments, corrections for the week, and ultimately to bless us. Did you catch that? He blessed the Sabbath. God blessed the Sabbath and he made it holy. He set it apart. He set it aside. That is exactly what he wants to do in us. He wants to set us apart. He wants to bless. He wants to make us holy. Do you hear the problem that we're supposed to rest and we don't? And it's the very thing that he wants to create in us to set us apart, to bless us. This ends with this statement, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's not saying, guys, I made the rule. I know what it really looks like. He doesn't say to the Pharisees, you don't get it. I made the rule, you're wrong. What I discovered is I, as I think about that statement, the Son of Man, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. What I begin to realize is he's saying, Jesus is the expert on rest. Let's not turn that to the negative. And Jesus is the expert of what work is. Jesus is the expert on rest. Do you buy that? That the one formed in you, that is being formed in you, is an expert at rest. Jesus is the one who who knows how to get rest. Jesus is the one who knows what real rest is. Jesus, the Pharisee said, this is what work is, don't do it. And Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. You hear the contrast? He desires us to find his rest so much that he commanded that we do it at one day a week. If we go clear back, this is what he's telling us. Do, do we see this rule as a curse or a blessing? And this is a real challenging question for me. Do I see rest as a curse or a blessing? I mean, I like the idea of rest, but I don't do it. What happens in you with the thought of rest? We live in a community that is hardworking and hard-playing. I don't know about other communities. I mean, I've only lived here like 24 years, but what I've observed is you don't know how to rest. Maybe you've even said something like, I'll rest when I retire. 
Maybe you, maybe you have to retire. Get this, maybe you have to retire because you've never learned to rest. You ever thought of it that way? Where did we get the idea of retirement? Not in the Bible. It's almost as though we've accepted the Babylonian captivity. Not that retirement's captivity, okay? But it's almost like we've, we've said, well, you know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna honor the day of rest each week, but I'm gonna instead, you know, carry it over to the end of my life and I can retire and I'll take all those days of rest. How's that working for you, right? You know what I've heard? I'm more busy now that I've retired than when I worked. We don't know how to rest. I had a boss who said, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Great model, huh? I find there is something in me that loves the thought of it, of being at peace, of taking time to to let him charge me up, and I still don't do it. I run from it. I'd like to say, oh, I just, I just get caught up. I don't realize that I'm not taking a rest. I run from it. I fill my schedule. I keep filling my schedule. When there's a margin, I put stuff in the margin. Oh, I can fit that in. I just listed to you uh, things that I fear when it comes to rest. Do you hear the language? Fear? I'm a, I think I'm afraid of rest. It leads me to ask you, so what keeps you from rest? God wants to set us aside, set us apart, and bless us. And we fight it. It's like, it's like I know the good that I ought to do, and I don't do it. I know that, that stopping will, or not stopping will just wear me out. I know that not stopping will just wear me out, and yet I still do it. Those are the similar words to Romans chapter 7. And our job is to not accept Romans chapter 7 as the end of the story. Because that's not what Christ is doing in us. As Christ is formed in you, the Lord of the Sabbath, the expert on all things rest, is being formed in you. He leads us to rest David said, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. When you're fighting moments of quiet, when you are resisting taking a day of the week to let go, and you're resisting his formation in you. That's a big statement. I hope you guys can accept it. When you find yourself striving to try to fit everything in and, and all you end up doing is getting busier and busier, You're not letting the Lord of the Sabbath be formed in you. 
As the Lord of the Sabbath is formed in me, my life should have an element of restfulness. Because that is a place on the journey that he'd take us. We are becoming more like Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. Now let me be clear, because this get a little, got a little muddy as I processed it in my head, okay? Number one is this, the, the Sabbath day. This is, I want us to be care, careful of this. Sabbath day, this is from the Ten Commandments, but rest is something that should infiltrate our very being. It's almost like the one day a week is like the bare minimum. Remember after part of the, the, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard it said, right? Do not commit murder, but I tell you, if you even say racha in regards to your brother, you're guilty. It's almost as though there's this idea, look, this is the minimum here. And I don't want us to walk away going, well, I just got just to get that check mark off on that day of rest each week. Because I think what he's calling us to is this place where our very soul is at rest. This is a result of Christ being formed in you. If you've shrunk rest down to just a day of the week, then you misunderstood the Lord of the Sabbath. As he's formed in you, not only will you submit to the idea of taking a day, but he brings rest to your very soul every day of the week. The Lord of the Sabbath is being formed in you. If you take nothing else from today, maybe just take that idea. The Lord of the Sabbath is being formed in you. Are you fighting it? I recognize within me a fight against rest. I go until I can't keep my eyes open. I live with with next to no margins. I don't like quiet. I don't like lonely. In my head, rest feels like a bottomless pit. If I stop, I might not be able to start again. I have too many things to do. Things, too many things I want to do. Too many people depending on me. I don't, I don't know if I want to sacrifice those things in order to, to do nothing. Those are the thoughts I wrestled with as I think about Sabbath. But the rest that God called his people to is a rest. Did you hear it? A rest unto the Lord, your God. See, we've condensed it down, right? Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. It is a rest unto the Lord, your God. A rest where we rest in him. A rest where we find him in our loneliness, in our emptiness, in our lack of whatever it is. 
A rest where we realize that it isn't by our effort that we are worthy. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. A rest where we realize it isn't by our efforts that we're made worthy. A rest where we find him. A rest where we let go of what we want or what we think we need. And we cast those on him. A rest where we trust that he knows us better than we know ourselves. A rest that that he knows what you need. That he knows what you'll enjoy. That he knows what you can't do and what you can do. A rest in knowing that he is God and we are not. If the invincible God chose to rest, the commandment is linked all the way back to creation. If we condense it down, we miss it. If the invincible God decided, I'm going to rest. And don't you think the invincible you can benefit from it. Would you bow your heads, please?